This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You asked that China not be involved in this interview, and I'm just wondering why. Why? Everybody wants to know why. You know what? Because this one is about me, JR. It's not about China or anybody else. It's about four weeks from now. It's about 28 days from now. It's about me getting what I want out of this business, and that is becoming the WWF champion. So you're saying that in four weeks at SummerSlam, you will become the WWF champion without China's help. You're right. I don't need anybody else, JR. This is about me. I don't need to be in a clique anymore. I don't need to be in DX anymore. This is about me. It's about me reaching my goals. You know, and while we're at it, this goes back a long way, JR. This goes back to the click. This goes back to Madison Square Garden. Me walking in the ring and saying goodbye to my friends. That's four years ago. You're damn right it's four years ago, and every day it's eating a hole in my f***ing stomach, JR. Every single day. Watch your language a little. What, you, you want me to shoot with this interview? I'm going to f***ing shoot with it. I'm going to tell you how I feel, whether you like it or not. It's about four years ago, Madison Square Garden, I walked to the ring to say goodbye to my friends, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Shawn Michaels. Who got punished for that, JR? Me. I did. You know why? Because you didn't have the Nobody in the office had that to do it to anybody else. They did it to me. Why? Because I was the easy one. I was the one that would take it. Good old Triple H, he'll rise to the occasion later on. Don't worry about it. He'll come through. We can take care of that now, punish him, get rid of that. He'll come back later. Well, you know what? That makes me sick in my stomach. Every time I look at you guys, it makes me sick to think what you did to me, holding me back. You guys talk about being students of the game. I am the f***ing game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. And now it's my time to prove that to the world. SummerSlam is my time to take what is mine, and that is becoming the WWF champion. You know, Hunter, SummerSlam's uh, about a lot more than just you. It's about the WWF title. It's about Jesse Ventura officiating that matchup. To hell with Jesse Ventura. To hell with The Rock. To hell with Austin. To hell with The Undertaker. I own all their asses. Jesse Ventura, I could care less. You want to promote SummerSlam around him? Go right ahead. But when it's said and done, SummerSlam is about me. It's about nobody else. It's about me. It's about me getting what I deserve in this business, and that is what I want, and that is becoming the WWF champion. It's my music. Break it down. Oh, you didn't know? Stand back. I'm a nice man. Mamacita. Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Eat me. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich, and joining me today is one of the hosts of the Brit Res Roundtable Podcast, 
which is also on the VOW Podcast Network. It's Robin Reed. Robin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Definitely. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the first time we've ever done a podcast together. It is indeed. Yeah, yeah. Although uh, this is technically not our first collaboration because... You and I worked together on a certain podcast intro uh, that so far has yet to debut. Which uh, may be for the best, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's the Intelligentsia with Joe Lanza. Um, not the NFL Intelligentsia, that's different, but the Intelligentsia. You and I worked together on an intro for it back in May, I believe, which I'm actually quite proud of, to be honest, but... Unfortunately, Joe has not done a single episode yet. So right now, it's just been, it's been sitting on my computer, just waiting to be played. <laughs> Between my Britishness and your editing skills, we created the perfect monster to uh, introduce Joe. But uh, unfortunately, he hasn't hasn't quite had the right in- moment of inspiration to to bring it up. Yeah, your voiceover on it is so goddamn funny because just the way you say it, it sounds like you're deeply in love with joe just <laughs> just the amount of adoration and pure love that's dripping from your voice is it's so overwhelming it's hysterical there was uh there was a lot of takes that went into it and i kept sending it to joe and he'd be like eh, a bit more love a bit more <laughs> a bit more awe for me it's like okay we'll try again try again but uh you know we we got there in the end hopefully at some point that uh that graces the patreon at some point yeah but uh, again, Robin, welcome to the show. Um, let me ask you this. I know you're a few years younger than I am. Uh, when and how did you become a wrestling fan, by any chance? Well, um, growing up, I wasn't allowed to watch wrestling uh, because it was too violent and parents were kind of strict on that. So weirdly, the time a lot of people were getting out of wrestling was when I first got in. I think I was around 13 or so. So when everyone else is like, oh, wrestling's not cool. I'm not going to watch that. That's when I'm like first uh, delving in. I would actually, um, because I wasn't allowed to watch it, I, but I, I would, I just for some reason had the urge to. I think it was Wrestle, one of the WrestleManias, whichever had the, the second Shawn Michaels Undertaker match. I watched it on some Daily Motion link while my parents weren't noticing and from there I was just hooked so for the next like two or three years really I was watching it like in secret quickly flicking away from it whenever my parents <laughs> walked into the room um eventually they they did catch me but by that point I was like 16 and managed to just about talk them into allowing me watching it um but and from there I kind of spread my wings and it's only gone downhill from there <laughs> um what about uh, music has music played a big part of your, of your fandom? You know, it's that, that's one way to put it, but perhaps a better way to put it would be wrestling has played a big part of my music fandom. Um, I'm, I'm I wouldn't call myself like a big music fan. I you know I enjoy music as much as you know I think most people enjoy music at least to some degree. But I'm not like someone listening to all the latest albums and really branching out it's kind of just a background thing for me for the most part um and as a result of that wrestling just with the sheer amount that i've watched over the last few years or whatever it has kind of formed my music taste for the better and probably mostly for the worst given (laughs) i listen to a lot of alt metal um a lot of like bad rap 
a lot a lot of wwe inspired themes like the the amount of my playlists that uh, revolve around like the nexus theme and whatever or at best it's like it's not a song from wrestling but it's a song from a band that i found through wrestling it's it, it's not great but it, you know it is what it is a lot of saliva i imagine you know, oh yes a lot of pod perhaps yes a bit of drowning pool which we'll get to later today actually yeah sneak peek that's right that's right uh well today robin we are here on a monumental episode of the podcast because this is the 50th episode of music of the mat the big 5-0 uh the midlife crisis is setting in <laughs> and i figured since 50 is a nice juicy number we needed a nice juicy topic and we certainly have one here today because it's the theme history of a man who has done quite a lot in the WWE. You name it, he's done it. World titles, IC titles, European and tag titles, uh, the King of the Ring, Royal Rumble, leader of multiple factions, the mastermind behind NXT, and one of the current top executives in the WWE. It's the game the Cerebral Assassin, the King of Kings, terrorizing himself, <laughs> Triple H. And when I put the call out for a co-host on the uh, prestigious VOW Slack chat, uh, Robin, your virtual hand just shot right up. Uh, is there a reason why you wanted to be part of this episode? Uh, does Triple H hold a special place in your heart at all? Well, here's the thing. I've kind of wanted to be on the show for quite a while, but my actual volunteering was just a bad pun, or I'm not even sure if you could call it a pun, in that I just replied, it's my time, because that is, of course, Triple H's greatest theme. So is that really it? Uh, that's that's the only reason you're here, I guess? <laughs> well, okay. no, no, that's, that's a slight example. Triple H was a guy who I really enjoyed through my earliest wrestling watching, in that um, before I was kind of into all the match quality and stuff, Shawn Michaels was the first uh, guy I watched, and I was like, oh, he's like my favorite. Unfortunately, the first match I'd watched was his retirement match. So then after that, I kind of naturally gravitated towards his buddy. Uh, and, you know, I was kind of a Triple H fan for, for quite a while. And uh, he's a guy I've always found underrated. Um, I think he kind of somewhat unfairly has a reputation of not being much of a worker. Um but uh, I think a real strength of his is themes, really. He's uh, he's had some good ones, for sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't call Triple H my favorite wrestler by any stretch. But I will say that Triple H does hold a very special place in my early wrestling fandom. Because for the first few years of me being a wrestling fan, there was no one who I hated more than Triple H. Because this was Reign of Terror Triple H where it seemed like he was always world champion on Raw. He was always beating up my heroes like Shawn Michaels or Goldberg. He was in Evolution, who I also hated, and uh, I despised him so much, Robin. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, nowadays I've softened up to him quite a bit. And, um, of course, when you get older and you start reading things online, you realize that part of the reason why he was winning so much was because of his backstage politicking and who he married and all that stuff. It, it does build up its own you know, brand of hatred in the guy. 
But regardless of all that, uh, just looking back on Triple H, the character, I do have much more of an appreciation for him than I did back then. Because he does play a great, hateable bad guy. And you certainly need hateable bad guys like Triple H. Because when they do eventually lose to The Rock, John Cena, Batista, Shawn Michaels, etc., it provides a real cathartic moment of triumph and joy for 11 and 12 year olds like me back in those days to finally see this motherfucker get vanquished. <laughs> you know, you, you can't have every heel be a cool heel or an anti-hero. You need just giant assholes who you want to see get their butts kicked. And that is something that Triple H has always excelled at. Yeah, and of course I've got a, an extra layer of wanting to hate him at the moment since he's coming in and uh, stealing stealing the soul out of my <laughs> scene. But uh, yeah, that's just just another layer of layer of hatred there. But uh, I think some of the the problem with him, um, while he was such a great bad guy who you did want to see his comeuppance, a lot of the time the comeuppance never seemed to come about, and that was kind of where the problem lied a lot. Yeah, he's had a lot of moments where you think, hmm, maybe he shouldn't have gone over there. <laughs> maybe maybe he shouldn't have beaten Booker T at WrestleMania 19 after cutting a promo saying that people like him don't deserve to win world titles. Maybe he shouldn't have beaten Randy Orton a month after he won the title at SummerSlam 2004, you know? Maybe he shouldn't have beaten Goldberg at the Elimination Chamber match the year prior. And the list kind of goes on and on and on and on. You know, granted, Triple H, he does have his fair share of bullshit in his career. No one is denying that at all. And I guess I can tie this into another one of Triple H's strong points, which is his presentation. I think Triple H, from the beginning of his WWE career, has always valued and placed a lot of importance on the way he presents himself, the way he looks, the way he dresses, the way he walks, and of course the music. And he changed it up depending on the character. When he was the young blue blood, he presented himself as a total privileged snob with the sneer and the tailcoat and the ponytail and the classical music. When he was the badass singles main event villain, he presented himself with intensity and spitting the water and my time and motorhead. And now that he's the seasoned veteran, the King of Kings, he's presented himself as such with these, you know, the elaborate entrances at WrestleMania. The Viking, Shao Kahn, Terminator, Mad Max. Everything is so epic and grand in scale because that's how Triple H is being presented as. He's this epic, legendary figure at this point. And sure, the reason why Triple H has been presented so well is partly because of how ingrained he is in the company. You know, uh, the boss's son wants to make himself look good. What a shock. <laughs> but even so, I think Triple H is one of those guys who truly appreciates the spectacle of wrestling and the big over-the-top presentation of wrestling because that's a big part of what wrestling is. And that's what makes wrestling appealing to a lot of people. It's the pomp, the circumstance, the show aspect of it. And Triple H, whether you like him or not, he wants to put on the best show that he can. He's definitely uh, a guy who, I think you put it brilliantly by saying he's a guy who really respects the spectacle of wrestling. Um, 
that is really his strength. He, he's best when he's performing on the biggest stages and performing big, performing to the back of the room, having these massive entrances. And, you know, there's for all his weaknesses, that's definitely not one of them. Okay, so let's get to the music. We're going to start here in the mid-90s, 1994 to be exact. Uh, that's when a young go-getter by the name of Terrorizing, let that sink in, debuts in WCW. He would not go by the name Terrorizing for long, however. He would change it to Jean-Paul Levesque. Ho, ho, ho. His theme song is by Jean-Christophe Soulier and Camille Rustam from the French music library Coca Media. This is called Roadmaster. Yes, folks, it's that time again, where we play a random rock instrumental from a music library. Why? Because it's WCW, baby, that's why. Forget personally crafted wrestling themes, just find a random song with guitars, bass, and drums, and you're good to go. <laughs> um, this first theme here, Robin, it, it doesn't really open itself up to a lot of hard-hitting analysis. It's your standard mean man rock song with mean man guitar riffs and so forth. I guess the one thing I do want to point out here is that Jean-Paul Levesque, he's supposed to be a French aristocrat, a French nobleman. Ho, ho, ho. Yet he's coming out to a song that sounds nothing like French aristocracy. This is sweaty barroom rock and roll, and it doesn't match the character that he's being portrayed on screen at all. But that's WCW for you, Robin, I guess. <laughs> it's it's an interesting one, for sure. I think it weirdly almost half ends up accidentally fitting the Terror Rising character. I mean, I, I'm not someone intimately familiar with uh, Terror Rising in his brief run, but I, I went back and checked out a few things. And it the general theme I got from it was that they were kind of going for this intimidating like you know guy by the name of terrorizing what you kind of expect their character but they didn't really go all the way with it it ended up kind of generic and that's kind of what you got here you've got a very generic kind of upbeat theme but then kind of below it they've got the the very small effort of trying to make it feel a bit imposing you've got your generic kind of drums that form the the main section of this piece but then you, underneath you kind of got the which is kind of going for imposing, 
but it doesn't really work. And I think that's kind of what you got with the character as well. I mean, that's not exactly what you want from a wrestling theme, but in a way it accidentally fits in that they both don't really work. I mean, he had this theme when he debuted as Terrorizing, and for some reason he kept it when he changed gimmicks to Jean-Paul Levesque. And, you know, you would think somebody in WCW would go, okay, we're changing up the gimmick, let's change up the theme, because Roadmaster doesn't sound like a theme for Jean-Paul Levesque. Maybe terrorizing, but not so much this new French character. But for whatever reason, they kept it. Maybe the fact that it was from a French production library, that was why they kept it? I I don't know. Well, Jean-Paul Levesque uh, does not last long in WCW. He leaves the company at the start of 1995 and decides to ply his trade in the World Wrestling Federation. He would debut there in April of that year under a similar gimmick to Jean-Paul Levesque, a Connecticut blue blood named Hunter Hearst Helmsley. This is by Jim Johnston. It's called Blue Blood. Now, this is more like it. You know, if if you're trying to convey nobility, aristocracy, blue-bloodedness, you don't go with a rock song like Roadmaster. You go with a harpsichord and flutes and strings, a beautiful melody, a nice calm tempo. It's a sound that fills your mind with visions of the upper-crust lifestyle with servants, mansions, lace, puffy shirts, uh, galas and balls and whatnot. So for a blue blood like Hunter Hearst Helmsley, this is definitely the right theme for him, Robin. Yeah, this is kind of what I like to call like a character couture theme in that it perfectly fits the character couture character that um, Helmsley was portraying at the time. He was, you know, he was leaning fully into the whole I am an aristocrat character um you almost got the vibe that he was kind of playing someone not from modern times but from you know tudor or the renaissance period or whatever and that's kind of the vibe this thing uh gives you've got the the generic not, g- generic's not quite the right word because it you know completely differently to the last theme it, it this isn't a theme that they'll just throw at anyone this is very specific to the that gimmick but it's generic in that it's it is meant to make everyone think of just this is kind of the renaissance sort of music um and it's what you think of when you think of that type of music um it's very repetitive um and in listening to this in preparation for this show i rapidly became annoyed by by this (laughs) song and that's kind of what they were going for, I imagine. You know, they, they this wasn't a guy you were supposed to cheer. This was a guy who was supposed to annoy you. And they went right at that straight away from the theme. You know, 20 seconds into the 
the piece when it starts repeating you're already getting annoyed it's it's not what you necessarily want from wrestling music um as a fan and so you're annoyed and you're annoyed at the characters so it does perfect it's perfect job there yeah it's definitely not the most exciting theme to listen to or the most urgent theme around but that's how it should be with this character you know he's not a rowdy let's go babyface he's not a maniac heel or a wild man he's very prim very proper snooty snobby sneering at the audience for being so low class compared to him you want his theme to reflect not just the overall gimmick but also how he portrays it his attitude his temperament so you don't go with the rock and roll or the synths or the hip-hop or any other kind of pop music of the quote-unquote filthy masses you go with the slower more sophisticated classier baroque music that is reserved for people like him people with dignity and grace and class and nice ponytails and all those other genres can be used by all the other wrestlers who are all beneath him it makes total sense yeah it it fits perfectly um but it's also a theme that can almost only be used for that gimmick like he could never have taken that that gimmick to the on with his transition through his career. By the way, Robin, a little trivia question for you. Do you know what Triple H's first finisher was before the pedigree? I don't. It wasn't the crossbody, was it? I feel like everyone did that back then for a while. It was the diamond cutter. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He called it the pedigree pandemonium, and he did it a few times on TV. And Diamond Dallas Page, who knew Triple H, called him up afterwards and asked him not to do it anymore because DDP was trying to get that move over as his own finisher in WCW and Triple H to his credit stopped doing it and he started using the actual pedigree and uh, the rest as they say is uh, history. I think the pedigree suits him better anyway so it, it worked out quite nicely. So in December 1996 Hunter Hearst Helmsley would get a new theme song. This one is considerably older than Blue Blood. It was first composed in the 1820s by Ludwig van Beethoven. This is a rendition of the song performed by Paul Kletsky and the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra. This is Symphony No. 9, Fourth Movement, a.k.a. Ode to Joy. We're continuing the classical music trend with this one, but this is taking us in a much different direction than Blue Blood. Blue Blood was, of course, very prim, very proper. It was calm and peaceful. Ode to Joy is not that. It is epic, it's grand, it's explosive and climactic. Blue Blood was nice and quaint with its flutes and its harpsichord. 
Ode to Joy is massive and bombastic with its full orchestra and choir and cymbals. Blue Blood was a garden party on a warm spring day with finger sandwiches and umbrellas. Ode to Joy is a battlefield. It's a soundtrack to violent, victorious glory. So it still fits the Hunter Hearst Helmsley character, but it's also, I think, a sign that the character uh, was starting to grow, Robin. Yeah, I, I like it as well. I think it's, in in the way that I kind of just said for Blue Blood, it could never have taken him further through his career. It was only for that gimmick. This Ode to Joy theme is kind of a perfect transition because you're getting the same the same vibe as Blue Blood initially, although it's obviously far, as you said, far, far more magnificent, far more anti-great, um, far bigger as a theme um but it 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 brings a level of grandeur that i think blue blood doesn't quite but also a level of being able to transition from the pure renaissance man character towards what he would eventually become um because i i believe i'm right in saying this this would be the theme he had he would have had when he first started teaming up with sean and, you know, he can't really do that. He can't be along allied with the sexy boy while he's still under the blue bud theme. But with this song, it works as the transition from that character to what he'd be moving towards because it has that that bigness, that look at me uh, type vibe that is being brought that kind of it has a synergy with what Shawn Michaels is bringing and what Triple H will eventually become whereas Blue Blood wouldn't have worked. So I think it works really well as that transition between the two. Yeah, this is the first Triple H theme that makes him sound like a big deal. And that's a recurring motif with almost any Triple H theme. Look how big of a deal he is. Look how important and mighty and awesome he is. That's Triple H to a T. He wants you to know how great he is. And we've got that with Blue Blood, too, but... That song feels like small potatoes compared to this one because Ode to Joy is so giant and grandiose and has a massive feel to it. It's a spectacle. And as I mentioned earlier, Triple H loves a spectacle. So yes, it still works for him in the sense that he's the blue-blooded snob and those kind of people love classical music. But now it's taking it to the next level and saying that he isn't just a snob anymore. He's someone you need to pay attention to. He's a star. Right. Blue Blood can't be the theme of a guy who's towards the, the upper end of the card, even in, you know, mid-90s WWF, where characters like that were far more prevalent. That can't really be a main eventer's theme. Ode to Joy can, or at very least towards the top, because it just does have that big feel that Blue Blood doesn't. And like you said, the whole Helmsley character was changing as well because in 97, he would start to drift away from the Blue Blood gimmick and become less prim and proper and more aggressive. And he would start coming to the ring with China as his valet and have that great feud with mankind. And that would eventually lead to a whole new character with DX. So the transition to O to Joy was very appropriate in the sense that Triple H himself was evolving into a different type of blue blood character. 
That's the the first accidental, no pun intended, with Triple H evolving. Ah, so yes, far. I, I'm sure there'll be many more. There'll be a few more where that came from. Trust me, <laughs> especially with you on the call. Uh, don't stereotype me now, Robin. All right, don't go that far. <laughs> apologies, apologies. In the fall of 1997, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and China would join forces with Shawn Michaels and Rick Rude to form a new stable in the WWF, uh, a stable of rowdy folks, you might call them, a stable of hooligans, others might say. Bret Hart would call them degenerates, and wouldn't you know it, the name stuck because they became known as D-Generation X, who, over the next year and a half or so, would make their mark on the WWF, Winning titles, recruiting new members like X-Pac and the New Age Outlaws, and just pushing the envelope left, right, and center with their crude behavior and juvenile humor. Helmsley would also shorten his name to just Triple H, which is another very important moment in his career. Triple H's new theme, the DX theme, was by Chris Warren and the DX Band off of WWF The Music Volume 3. This is... Break it down. Are you ready? Hey, think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Break it down! You can tell me what to do You know who you're talking to We played this song last year on the X-Pac episode, Chris and I did, but it's good to discuss it again because now we're doing so in the context of Triple H. And in the context of Triple H and his music, this is such a hard left turn from the posh grandeur of the previous Triple H themes. No more high society overtones, no more classical orchestration. Now it's it's gritty, down-in-the-dirt rock and roll. It's screaming vocals, it's metal guitars, it's pounding bass. It's an anthem of angst and rebellion against the established order, against high society and quote-unquote the man. Break It Down is completely antithetical to the spirit of both Blue Blood and Ode to Joy. And it's also a reflection of Triple H and his new character in DX. No more Blue Blood gimmick, no more snobbishness, no more Hunter Hearst Helmsley even. Now he's just Triple H. He's anti-authoritative. He's rebellious. He's pushing the envelope of, of good taste and, and swearing and saying suck it and the crotch chops and raging against the machine. He's tapping into that disgruntled youth market. You think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? 
The guy has now done a complete 180 and has gone from being above the masses and being better than them to now being their spokesman and their champion. So it's a very interesting turn of events here, Robin. Yeah, it's it's a big change. Um, and I, I imagine at the time it was quite a quite a stark and kind of shocking change to, to see unfold at the time. But good Lord, is this theme amazing? Like it, it, it's it's easy to kind of forget because of just how many times I'm sure we've both heard it and everyone listened to the, this has heard it. But this theme is just incredible for what they were going for. Like it's it's a classic and rightly so. It just presents the perfect vibe for everything they're doing. They they want that in your face, changing things. We're here. Everything's going to be different. We're not like your your dad's wrestling. This is pushing the envelope, and that's exactly what this theme has. And it's exactly what it brought to the entrance as well with the whole um, Titan Tron, and then zooming into what the video on the Tron during the entrance, and the lights going out, and the you know the flashing lights. It was all just the perfect package for what they were going for, and. I, I'm not sure they could have come up with a better theme for this group if they tried. And the, the later incarnations of the group as well, they just fit every time. Um, and and what, was, what was particularly excellent is this theme works so well on both sides of the coin. It can work as a face because it's, you know, as you were saying, the disgruntled youth of America, et cetera, et cetera. It's, and it's, you know, un, undeniably cool, like, Maybe looking back now, it's a little less cool because you associate it with, you know, boarding Shawn Michaels and <laughs> um, corporate Triple H trying to be cool again in 2018 in Saudi Arabia or whatever. Um, but, you know, when you just listen to this theme and, you know, I I challenge you to say it's not a cool theme. And as such, it worked terrifically for a face because you want to root for these guys because you want to be these guys. But on the other side of the coin, it is un also undeniably pretentious. It's undeniably, I'm saying it on both sides, but it's in your face in an annoying way too, if they're annoying you, if their aim is to annoy you, when they're heels, it works there too. And there's not too many themes that work so perfectly on both sides of the coin. Definitely, yeah. And looking at it with Triple H in mind, it's important to remember that this wasn't just the DX theme, this was Triple H's theme. Him and China, this was their song for singles matches. Sean had Sexy Boy, you know, X-Pac had Make Some Noise, the Outlaws had Oh You Didn't Know, but for Triple H and China, it was just Break It Down, which is fascinating to think about in the sense that, you know, Triple H wasn't a lackey or an underling, he was the leader of DX. Shouldn't he get his own singles theme? But if you think about it, it's very smart of him to come out to break it down because it helps wipe away any remnants of the old Hunter Hearst Helmsley Blue Blood gimmick. If he's coming out to the DX song and doing all that you know crazy memorable DX shtick week in, week out, month in, month out, you're not going to hear... The name Triple H and think, yeah, he's the blue blood guy. You're going to think, yeah, he's the guy in DX. He's Triple H, not Hunter Hearst Helmsley. So it's pretty smart in that regard, Robin. Yeah, it's it's an interesting observation because 
as you kind of alluded to, the the guys who become part of the stable and then come out to the stable's theme are usually, you know, they're they're the lower guys in the stable. They're the the job guys. Obviously, Triple H was the opposite of that. He was the leader, or when Sean was there, he was the number two guy. But it's hard to imagine them managing to come up with a better singles theme for him going for this vibe, going through this transitional period for him than this. Like they maybe maybe Jim Johnson tried to come up with something and just went, you know what? I'm not I'm not improving on this. So let's just give them this to him as a singles theme and it'll work. And you know, it it worked, you know? Yeah. And it's also the first Triple H theme with lyrics, which is pretty notable. And what I want to do as we go along here is track the lyrics and the lyrical tone and see how they change over time as new themes come in and as Triple H develops in his career. Because with Break It Down, it very much has this us versus the world mentality. You think you can tell us what to do. You think you can tell us what to wear. Degenerate into something fool. We just got tired of doing what you told us to do. There are some singular pronouns in the song as well, but overall the tone of it is very much about the group, the collective, the DX army, etc., etc. But as we'll see with a lot of the other themes here, Robin, that sentiment is not going to last long. Yeah, it's it's definitely a stable theme ahead of a singles theme, but it you know it still worked. So at WrestleMania 15, Triple H, in a stunning turn of events, betrayed X-Pac and the rest of DX by joining the corporation, Mr. McMahon's top heel stable. Rebellious, anti-authority, man of the people Triple H was gone. He was now a corporate player. And wouldn't you know it, that's the name of our next theme. This is by Jim Johnston off of WWE Uncaged 5. It's... Corporate player. the Triple H themes that have ever existed, Robin, this is certainly one of them. I mean, who could ever forget those magical few weeks when Triple H made his grand entrances to the ring with playing in the background. I mean, it's embedded in the minds of wrestling fans everywhere, I'm sure. <laughs> it, it certainly is a theme that he came out to. You you cannot take that away from it. Yeah, it's another rock instrumental with some sinister synths in the background. Run-of-the-mill, really. I mean, it works in the sense that Triple H sold out. 
and he's in the corporation now. So he traded in his edgy, cool DX song for a sterile, corporate bad guy kind of song. So it's actually quite fitting in that regard, but otherwise I have uh, very little else to say about this one. <laughs> yeah, like, I, there's not enough there for me to dislike it. It's fine, but it, it, there's just not enough of it, especially for a guy who was an important guy. This wasn't the theme of some underling who, you know, was was a guy taking falls every week um, before they could get to the, the top guy in the corporation. This was one of the top guys there. And it's it's just not the theme of a of a top guy, um, and you know it it makes sense that it didn't last long. Yeah, it's only around for a few weeks, so you have to imagine that Jim Johnston was like, "All right, I'm still working on my time. Have this one. I'll get back to you in a few weeks with the real song." And thank God that this theme did not last long because I can't even imagine ninety nine two thousand Triple H the peak of his years having this theme song it'd be so out of place yeah it just doesn't have the attitude needed to accurately present triple h in that you had with break it down and you know we're going to get on to they have with my time which which comes not too long after this it's just this was this was very placeholder and it's a good job it was so short-lived really so like i said triple h would only have corporate player for a few weeks he would get a new theme in May by Jim Johnston. It's called Higher Brain Pattern. So this is clearly an early instrumental version of My Time. It's basically the same song, except there are no vocals. Uh, you, you do hear a little bit of vocals, because if you listen closely in one part of the song, you can hear a woman's voice say, Higher. 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 Um, as far as the music goes, I, I love the music for this and for My Time. I think it sounds really cool with the chunky guitar in the main section and the uh, the electronic bits that kind of surround it. A little uh, futuristic sounding, but still grounded in a modern edge, if that makes sense. Has a bit of menace to it as well. And with Triple H stepping up as supposedly the next big main event heel, you want a theme that sounds like it's cool and new and big time. Yeah, this, this song's a hard one to analyze because I don't know if you found the same, but for me, listening to this, it was impossible to hear it without, like, playing the words in your head anyway. <laughs> like, it's... Because it is so similar to my time just without the lyrics, it's it's hard to analyse on its own because listening along, I was just going, when are the lyrics going to kick in? When, when When's it going to start saying it's my time, damn it? Um, 
overall, I think it, it still works as a theme, but far less so. It kind of lacks the character that the, the lyrics bring. Um, it, it doesn't quite have the same attitude. It, it obviously has more attitude than Corporate Player, so it's an upgrade there. Um, but it is it does kind of feel like Jim Jim realised, you know, he Triple H made his turn. He's like, oh, damn, I don't have a theme ready for him yet. I'm working on my time. He throws him Corporate Player. Corporate Player lasts for a few weeks. He, in the end, he goes, you know what? I can't, I can't, I can't have him keep going out. To that that's just not doing the job i'm not doing my job properly by letting him going out to that i haven't quite finished my time but i've kind of got the backtrack of it I've, I've got everything but the lyrics kind of sealed down so we'll just throw them out with this now it's it's not finished but it's better than corporate player and that's kind of it, it's the step along the way really isn't it right you can kind of sense that yeah a full version with lyrics is coming soon because you need the full version with the lyrics to hit that home run and make the song feel complete and give it that extra kick of attitude. But, you know, even without the vocals, it definitely makes for a much better sound than Corporate Player. Because Corporate Player just sounds like every generic 98-99 mid-card instrumental theme, and it doesn't stand out at all, whereas this sound does. Yeah, yeah, it it has it has personality and it has it has the character, but it just doesn't quite have the attitude that the, I think the lyrics bring. If that makes sense, right? And it's called higher brain pattern. He's the cerebral assassin. It all comes together. Uh, there's a level of synergy there. It's it's working. Someone's thinking. Him apparently. So uh, like corporate player, higher brain pattern would only be around for a short little while, about a month. In June, Triple H would get another new theme, which he would have until December of 2000. So this theme would carry him into the main event scene and his first few WWF title reigns and his big feuds with Cactus Jack and The Rock and Stone Cold and marrying Stephanie McMahon and the whole McMahon-Helmsley regime and all that kind of fun stuff. This is Jim Johnston featuring Chris Warren off of WWF The Music Volume 4, it's my time. One, two, is this on? Ha. Yo, Jimmy, hit me with that Triple H. to the song yo jimmy hit me with that triple h yeah you let the music keep playing mr dunn uh confession time here uh until very recently 
I thought the line was, you let the music keep playing Mr. Dumb shit. <laughs> I didn't realize he was referring to Kevin Dunn there. <laughs> I mean, it's an easy mistake to make. It, it With the, the tone of the lyrics in this song, Mr. Dumb shit wouldn't, it wouldn't not fit, you know? Right, yeah. But uh, anyway, my time, it's a banger of a tune, as the kids would say. You got the music from Higher Brain Pattern, and you've got... Chris Warren back on vocals and what I love about him in this song is that you've got the typical snot-nosed rebellious punk vocals that we had in the DX theme except now it's turned up even higher so he's even more obnoxious more vocal about his frustration with the man screaming about all oh, your stupid rules winking to the camera so to speak with the references to Kevin Dunn and Jim Johnston, all the snide remarks about the marks, the suits. Does anybody know who's sleeping with who? Which is kind of ironic considering who Triple H ended up marrying. (laughs) (laughs) But in, in in any event, I think this song is great. I love the intensity. I love the driving beat. I'll relate it to Triple H in a moment here, but what are your initial thoughts about my time, Robin? Uh, like... We're talking about how he had to wait a few weeks to get it. He had to suffer through corporate flair for a bit, and then he was okay with higher brain pattern. My time was worth the wait. It's a magnificent theme song. Like I, I love this song. Um, it's it just rules, and it gets me so pumped. It just has that a certain a level of intensity to it. That's exactly what you want from a, a wrestling theme. You, the guy, the music hits, the guy comes out, and you are ready for the match. You are, you are buzzing for it. Um, it's, it, I th- and I think it kind of works as just a song on its own as well. Um, although, it, it's interesting in that it, it is, it is does lean very heel. In that I think if you just sped this song up very slightly, it wouldn't have to be a lot. Maybe like. 1.1 speed or whatever i think it almost then works as a face theme because then it's it's just it would ha- have the energy but it's just slow enough that it's kind of dragging you through and it's kind of feels like it's talking down to you rather than it, it's got the the pace to to drive you through um it's it's a really interesting one though um i and I, i'm a and i'm a big fan yeah and looking at the lyrics you can kind of see my time as sort of like a singles version of Break It Down because Break It Down was a very aggressive, angry song rebelling against the system or the man or what have you, but it was a group mentality, us versus them. My time has that same tone, that same rising up spirit, but the focus is meant to be more singular. It's not DX versus the world, now it's Triple H versus the world because for so long Triple H was never given a proper run at the top he was always waiting underneath somebody else Austin Rock Undertaker Sean whoever now it's Triple H's time not gonna listen to anybody tell me who and what to be not trying to be like everybody time for playing ain't for me my time my time my time of course Triple H had Stephanie with him And he had a reunited DX with him as well. But the focus was now clearly on him. It's not DX Army all for one, one for all. 
It's Triple H and everybody else. So it's very much a singular frame of mind as opposed to break it down, which was the group mentality. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because while that is the vibe for the the vast majority of the song, there is those little parts where it goes, my time, our time. And then later on, it's, uh, we're not looking back. We've had enough. So there's little little touches of the group mentality that he's still kind of left with from his previous incarnations. But overall, it is more about him now. And it's instead of a group, it's it's people for him is the vibe I get. It's it's his time. And he will occasionally throw in the little hour time to appease the people around him who he's kind of using. But really, it's all about him. And that's the title. And it, it's quite interesting, I find, with the, the actual placement of the hour time. It's like it's my time, our time. My time is starting. My time, my time, my time. So they, they've kind of thrown the hour time in almost to kind of appease the rest of the group that he is kind of aligned with. But really, it is all about him. And, and that's kind of the, the mentality he presented through, through this era. Yeah, and once again, to his credit, Triple H matched his presentation to the song. He cut his hair a little bit, he bulked up, started wearing the short tights, and took on the role of the hungry, vicious guy who was just so determined to do whatever it takes to win and be the champion because it's his time. It took him a little while to get there and perfect the role, but I think he got there in the end, uh, especially with that Cactus Jack feud. Yeah. So we've come to what is probably the most notable theme in Triple H's career, the game. But before we get to Lemmy and his friends, there's actually a Jim Johnston version of the game that was only used like once or twice towards the end of 2000. It debuted at Armageddon 2000 in December. So let's hear Jim Johnston's version of the game. similar to Higher Brain Pattern. Same electronic melody in there. And the same guitar riff from My Time, which is another thing I discovered recently. The guitar riff from the verses in My Time and the guitar riff from the verses in the game are basically the same. Here, though, they've cranked up the guitars and the drums, and they've added a few extra noodly guitar lines in there as well. Overall, it's not a very notable song because it sounds pretty close to my time and higher brain pattern especially, but it does serve as somewhat of a bridge 
to the next version of the game, given its metal infusion. Yeah, it's kind of the uh, it's kind of the missing link between the themes. In that there is that through line, as you said, with the guitar riffs, um, but you wouldn't necessarily immediately spot it until I think this this theme kind of makes you realise, oh, that that is the connection between them. But as a theme as a whole, it's just an assault on, a, on the senses and not in a good way at all. There's there's a lot going on in this one and many would say too much, I think. Um, it kind of sounds like a fan mashup more than a properly produced theme that you kind of expect from uh, Jim. It's, it, it's too much, I think, really. Now that was the instrumental version, which was never officially released, but there was an unused vocal version of Jim Johnston's The Game that was released on WWE Anthology, so let's play it right here. Put your money on the table. Come on. Uh, yeah. My game. Uh, <laughs> so if you've never heard this version of the song before, it's very interesting to listen to because the lyrics are very similar to the lyrics in the Motorhead version. A few differences here and there, of course, but it's mainly the same. And it's so weird because instead of hearing the words be sung by craggly-throated Lemmy, it's being sung by, like, rap rockers. And fair enough, this isn't a full-blown metal song, necessarily. But it's still odd to hear, It's all about the game! And how you play it! It's pretty it's pretty strange, Robin, you know? It, it is a strange one, isn't it? Like, it, it's probably... It, it's made weirder by the we're all so familiar with the metal version. Um, so we're, it, it kind of sticks out more because of that. But it is, it, I said the instrumental version was a lot going on and perhaps too much. Where well, you throw these lyrics on top and you're, you're way past it. Um, it's, you know, it's not particularly good in my opinion, but it's, it, it sure is something. And it's, it's interesting how they managed to have very, very similar lyrics to the Motorhead version and yet such a different tone presented. Um, that, like, if he had continued to come out to, to that song, it's hard to imagine how the character would have evolved with that song because it, it just presents such a different ideal. It's it is more leaning towards the the DX, the the my time version, as opposed to while keeping the lyrics the same, the meaning behind them almost feels like it changes so much with the theme we're all so much more familiar with. Yeah, this feels like a step back 
to the juvenile spirit of earlier themes. Yeah. You know, whereas the Motorhead version is super serious. I think it was a very smart idea to not use this version at all because at that point in time, late 2000, early 2001, Triple H, he did seem like he had matured a lot as a wrestler. And the My Time sound didn't necessarily fit him as well as it did many months ago. You know, he needed something a lot more serious and grounded than, put your money on the table! You know, that wasn't him anymore. No, it's um, it's an interesting artifact um, to kind of look back on, but as a theme, it's not good, and it especially wouldn't have fitted him. So, yeah, they, they made the right move by by not giving it to him. Now, in January 2001, we finally get the version of the game, the one that is performed by Motorhead, and Triple H has had this theme to this very day. Of course, he's also had stable themes and the King of Kings theme, but this song remains Triple H's primary theme first and foremost. This can be found on WWF The Music Volume 5. It's Motorhead with The Game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the game, and how you play it. It's all about control, and if you can take it, it's all about your death. And if you can pay it, it's all about pain. And who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I may lose So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, sucker, why don't you ask me? Don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play By the time we reached 2001, Hunter Hearst Helmsley and juvenile delinquent DX Triple H were a thing of the distant past. Now he was the game. Now he was the multi-time WWF champion. He was a serious main event badass superstar and when you take on that role you need a theme that means serious business you need a made event song and when that opening hits time to play the game time to play the game the only words that come to mind are serious business no frills, no electronica, no goofiness, no snide, snotty tone of voice. Does anybody know who's sleeping with who? None of that. This is not the angsty youth whining about the man. This is now the man. Smacking that youth in the mouth and putting him back in his place. And the entrance is right there as well. No smiling, no smirking, just a stone-faced, badass motherfucker slowly walking to the ring, ready to kick someone's ass. The most ostentatious thing, really, he does is spitting the water, and even that looks cool because he does it in time with the music. So 
if there was ever going to be a song that showed how much Triple H had matured and grown into his role as the guy, this is the absolutely perfect one to do so. This, for me, is the Triple H theme. It's it's the theme I think of when I think of what music does Triple H come out to. When I think about it in my head, this is the one. It's iconic, and it's yet another banger, as the kids say, she put it earlier. Um, it's It just... You can tell from the moment it hits that it's going to be a great wrestling theme. And, you know, that's kind of the most important important part of a wrestling theme to me anyway the first like 10 20 seconds less than that even first 5 10 seconds where the music hits you get that initial pop because you realize who's coming out and it has to kind of in that second present the aura and within the first 5 10 seconds of this song it just oozes badass and that's exactly what they're going for it's it's great in that regard um it, I've got a, an interesting, well, I hope it's interesting, little uh, anecdote to, to to bring out for this one. Um, when, uh, when, when I first met one of my housemate's boyfriends uh, for the first time, and he, uh, for whatever reason, unfortunately for me, he'd been informed um, that I was a wrestling fan. Uh, and so when he, when he meets me, he goes, Oh, you're a wrestling fan, right? And you know he wasn't, but he he was in the past. He had been in the past, and I I you know admit to it begrudgingly somewhat. Uh, and he just starts singing this song. It's I think for people my age especially, um, and that is annoyingly young, uh, as I as I'm told frequently in the Slack. Um, but for people who who grew up mostly through the noughties, this theme is kind of a theme you think of when you think of wrestling themes um and and the water spit just makes it they you are lying if you tell me you haven't listened to this song in your bathroom and done the water spit into a mirror like everyone's done that <laughs> i refuse to believe they haven't or the shower the shower probably makes more sense but you know the you got to be able to see yourself do it back so that, that's where, <laughs> where the mirror comes in you can and you realize wow it's kind of harder to do the water spit than i first realized but uh, we, we've all tried it we've all tried it don't try and pretend we haven't and it's a theme that he's had for 18 years at this point it's amazing to think about its longevity and it's amazing too i think about how he's had it as both a face and a heel you know some guys have different themes depending on their disposition, you know, heel remixes and so forth. But Triple H can be a mega bastard heel, and this song will hit and people will boo all day long. Then he'll say, you know, Terra's Quad, be out for eight months, and then he'll come back and this song will hit, and he'll get the loudest pop in the world. So the game is a great song, and it's proven by the fact that whether Triple H is a good guy or a bad guy, it'll get a massive reaction. Yeah, you hear this one and you you just know the guy is here. He has arrived. It's, it's whatever happens next, it's gonna be a big deal because this guy is a big deal. And this song just presents that so perfectly. Um it it really is a great main eventer's theme. Yeah, and looking at the lyrics, this is the first Triple H theme 
with vocals where the emphasis is solely placed on the singular. Break It Down was the group mentality. My time was singular, but still had those trace elements of the group left over. This is different. There is no we or us or our. This is all about the I. I am the game. You don't want to play me. I am control. No way you can change me. I am heavy debt. No way you can pay me. I am the pain, and I know you can't take me. With this song, Triple H is truly his own man now. He's finally standing out on top of that mountain by himself. You know, to paraphrase that famous promo he did, Triple H isn't just part of the game, he is the game. Yeah, it's 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 the the end point of the transition you go through from the Degeneration X break it down theme to my time where it's mostly about him, but there's there's just these touches because he it does he does at that point still have the slightly juvenile character. You get the impression he's kind of partially acting. It's it's his time, but he's not entirely used to it being his time at that point. Here he comes into his own. It's all about him, and he knows it because he is the guy at this point. It's and and that's that's what you get with with the kind of not quite call and response, but the the way the the first verse is laid out. It's all about him. It's actually quite quite interesting, and it, I think it fits quite well into the the way they the way the song and his nickname at that point, uh, the game. It's kind of laid out. Like it's explaining the rules to like a board game or something. It, it goes through and it's it's all about the game and how to play it. It's all about control and if you can take it. All about your debt and if you can pay it. It's all about pain and who's going to make it. It's like they're kind of the rules we're working under. And we're explaining how it all works ahead of time, right at the beginning. The way you would in like a board game. And then it transitions to I am the game. You don't want to play me. I am control. I am heavy debt. I am pain. Like I am all those things you just we've just talked about. That's what we're doing, and I am the best at what we're doing. And that's kind of a way it works. And it's just exactly the vibe you want for the character he was portraying. It it does a great job in that regard. Yeah, and it's not enough that he's the best. He has to be the most intense dangerous guy around because this is a very intense song not just with the music but with the lyrics as well these are very violent lyrics look over your shoulder ready to run like a good little bitch from a smoking gun i am the game and i make the rules so move on out here and die like a fool we did not get that kind of imagery in break it down or my time that's for sure and having lemmy do the vocals is just the icing on the cake because his voice, that raspy growl, brings a level of menace and malice and danger that we have yet to see on this episode. Chris Warren's vocals are very snot-nosed punk, rebelling against the man, authority, that kind of stuff. You hear Lemmy's voice and you are convinced that he won't jibber-jabber like Chris Warren, he'll legit just stab you in the chest, you know? (laughs) And he's just, he's such a great singer, a unique singer in his own right. And I know sadly he died a few years ago at this point. And I think it's really cool how WWE has helped keep Lemmy and Motorhead's music alive for years and years because of this song and 
the other Triple H themes and because of Triple H's loyalty to Lemmy, who was his friend. Yeah, Chris Chris Warren's theme is all about, I'm going to rise up against the man. This song is, I am the man, and you can try and rise up against me, but it's not going to work. Like, I've laid out the rules, and I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen if you try and come against me. Uh, you, you, you're going to have to change your name, and you're going to die in flames. And then that laugh hits, and that laugh is magnificent. It's, it's just perfect. Like, you couldn't ask for a better laugh to be inserted into this theme. It, it just, it has more character in that laugh than a lot of theme songs do, even though they're full with lyrics. That more is said in that laugh. There is one more version of the game to talk about. Uh, this one was used ever so briefly for one night only at WrestleMania 18 in 2002 for Triple H's world title match against Chris Jericho, where the song was performed live for its entrance. This is by Drowning Pool, and it's off of WWF Forcible Entry. This is, once again, The Game. I don't necessarily hate this version, but to compare it to the Motorhead version, it's a losing battle. You know, Drowning Pool, they do put their own 2000s new metal spin on the song, and that includes taking the lyrics and warping them around a little bit and changing up the melody. I think this is a much more melodic version of the song than the Motorhead version is. So they did make it their own, but... As far as Triple H is concerned, new metal, much like rap rock, doesn't necessarily fit him. Even though, you know, he does like metal, we know that, I just don't see him and Drowning Pool being a good match. Uh, what about you, Robin? Yeah, Drowning Pool, in a way, we're kind of put in a bad position here. Because, you know, for a start off, the theme that they're, they're kind of making a version of was so good to begin with. And, you know, the, the comparisons are, of course, going to be inevitable. But also, in the having a, a theme for, like, a one-off big match, what you want, usually, is kind of a more grand version that can't wouldn't really work for, like, a Raw, just a, a run-of-the-mill match to come out. You want a, a bigger version for the bigger occasion. But the problem is the game is already a huge song, the Motorhead version. Um, it's it's already huge and pretty much as grand as you get. And, you know, Drowning Pool 
you got to give it to them. They they made it their own. They they obviously tried, and it's it's not a horrible song, but it they couldn't make it bigger than um than the Motorhead version because what could be bigger? You know, it's it lacks the grandeur you want for the bigger theme, but in a way they were almost put in a position where they were going to fail no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I can see why they did it because this album came out March 2002. Uh, the Drowning Pool album came out the year before and was really popular. Uh, WWE used a bunch of their songs in their programming, like Bodies and Sinner. Uh, Tearaway was one of the Mania themes that year, so a little tie-in there. So there is a relationship between the two sides, and sure, why not have this popular band do a song for one of your biggest stars who just came back from a long injury and is now a super hot babyface. You know, it makes a ton of sense in that regard. So if they wanted to just do this cover version strictly for the album and just for that one-time performance during a massive stage like Mania and then afterwards go back to Motorhead, then I I guess I'm cool with it because there will be 8 million more WrestleMania entrances for Triple H with the Motorhead version. So it's it's not that big a deal to me, anyway. Yeah, it, it's not, like, offensive or anything, but it's just not as good, um, which was kind of always destined to be, I think. I think another problem it has is that it repeatedly uses the phrase, here comes the pain, and, yes. <laughs> and that's not Triple H. That's, that's the wrong guy. That's the wrong massive Jack guy. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Brock actually debuted, like, a week before this album came out, too, which is funny to think about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's turn our attentions back now to a few stable themes. Uh, Triple H would form a brand new stable at the beginning of 2003 with Ric Flair, Randy Orton, and Batista. They would be called Evolution. Their first stable theme came out in June and is by Jim Johnston, and it was eventually released on WWE Uncaged 5, This is Evolve. Open with the ticking clock, which will tick, tick, tick away throughout the rest of the song. Uh, Evolution's premise was that it was the past, present, and future of wrestling, so the clock, I guess, is a way to represent that concept. Um, I will admit, it does get a little annoying after a while. (laughs) Um, Really, the main highlight of the song is the guitar work, because this melody here, would be built upon with 
the next evolution theme, Line in the Sand. So Evolve is a foundation of sorts for Motorhead to come in and make the proper evolution theme, which is coming up next. So, Yeah, it, it kind of holds the same kind of spot as Higher Brain Pattern in that it, it lays a foundation and a, a very good foundation because it ends up being the foundations for a very good theme. But on its own, it doesn't really work 100%, um, especially with the, the clock. It, it's almost overbearing in this theme compared to in Line in the Sand. It's a nice addition to it, but it's you get the, the symbolism of the clock without it just being, can we stop the damn ticking already by the time we're, we're, we're going through Evolve as a, as a theme? Um, it, it's another one where it's it, it's got a bit more variation than Higher Brain Pattern and My Time's difference, but it's another one that's kind of hard to separate in your mind from the, what it would later become in Line in the Sand. It's, it's hard to hear it without the lyrics kicking in in your brain. Um, but it, it, it's another one that's fine, but laid the groundwork for something that would be far better. Yeah, I think the fact that it only lasted you know, a month is proof that this was just a rough sketch by Jim Johnston for Motorhead to come in and do a proper version of it. So it may have been annoying with the ticking clock, but it didn't last too long, thankfully. Yeah, and you know, their heels, they're, them having a theme that's slightly annoying isn't necessarily a bad thing either, so... I guess the biggest memory I have of this song, really, is uh, renting WrestleMania 19 for the GameCube at Blockbuster back in, like, 2003, and being really disappointed because this song was in the game and the Motorhead version wasn't. And God damn it, Robin, I wanted to hear the Motorhead version! <laughs> you, you were robbed. You I was were robbed. robbed. I was robbed. Same for uh, Kane's theme. Slow Chemical. That wasn't in there either. Oh, Those bastards. That that is not not including Slow Chemical is a, a crime beyond imagining. That's it's a beautiful song. Yes, yes. Uh, Evolve would only last a short while, from June to July. Starting in July, they would get a new theme, which they would have for much much longer, performed by Motorhead. So Triple H's second Motorhead theme here, off of Thematic. WWE The Music Volume 6, this is Line in the Sand. Yeah. 
the ticking clock returns, except in this case, it's quickly overpowered by Motorhead. So thank you, Motorhead, for doing that. (laughs) Um, This song is so awesome. It's actually not just one of my favorite Triple H themes. It's one of my favorite wrestling themes in general. And it's kind of funny for me to say that now because back in the day when I was a kid, I used to hate this song so much because I hated Evolution so much. But listening to it, you know, as I got older on its own over time, I've grown to love it quite a lot because it just, it sounds so cool. Effortlessly cool, I'd say. It's not trying hard to be cool. It just is. And when that chorus hits, I've seen the line in the sand. Burn out, down, 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 down. Time to find out. Who I am. I just get goosebumps because it hits that emotional buzzer in my brain. Uh, what about you, Robin? Do you love Line in the Sand like I do? I I love it. It's you know Motorhead were really they really got what you needed from a wrestling theme, didn't they? They they were just so good at the first the, the opening section of the theme, leaving an imprint on your brain. There being enough variation throughout it that it's it doesn't get repetitive as so many themes do by the time the guy's in the ring, it it ju- and and it just brings such character to to every entrance they had. It's it's a great great song. Right, it's another Triple H theme that's meant to make him seem like a big deal, but in a different way than my time or the game because my time he was the star on the rise, the game he was the killer elite. Now with Lion in the Sand, he's the mob boss, he's the kingpin, world title belt on his shoulder, buddies by his side, sunglasses, nice suits, nice hair, walking with uber confidence to the ring because they run the town. The intensity, the aggression, the superstar wrestler, all of that is still associated with the game, but when it comes time to flaunt the wealth, this is the theme to do it. Yeah, 100%. Effortlessly cool is, is exactly right. It's it, it just it oozes charisma. It, it it's excellent. Um I guess to to dive into the lyrics of all, um and and to to continue to look at the the eyes and the wheeze and the perspective that you're looking at. I hadn't I hadn't realized this before, but throughout all his themes that there's a nice story there in the the perspectives that they're taking because here it is a group theme and you do have the wheeze occasionally but really when it gets down to it it's all eyes it's all me's it's it's time to find out who i am it's looking back to see where i stand i see the line in the sand and that's kind of what evolution as a group was it was presented as the future the past and the present of wrestling but really it was just triple h getting guys around him to see how he could hold on to the title the best and when the future eventually rose up and was ready to take that spot he was kicking them out he was saying no you i i'm still the guy this is actually still about me i'm 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 telling you it's about you and and it's got the we all know what it means it's got the occasional we in there but it is really all about Triple H. It is all about I. It is about where I stand. It is about who I am. It's not how we're going through things together. I'm raising you up, ready to take my spot. It's I'm using you. Yeah, see my reflection change. Nothing ever stays the same, but you know the name's the game. 
it's not referencing the nature boy here or the legend killer or the animal. It's referencing the game. So even though evolution is supposed to be one big happy family and everybody is sharing the wealth, we all know who the real golden boy actually is. It's Triple H. Now, let me ask you this, Robin. When was the last time you heard a WWE theme sound like this, where it's an actual song and not just a bunch of loops? Because this is a full song. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus, extended guitar solo, end. And we don't really get that nowadays with WWE. No. Granted, it's Motorhead, and they are not a wrestling theme kind of band. They're a a band kind of band. But still, it's nice to hear a wrestling theme as a full-fledged song, as opposed to 50 seconds of a song, and then it loops around. It, it's it's really lovely, and it, it is, it's a credit to it that it works so well as a wrestling theme, but also just as a song in general. It, it's perfect in both regards. Like you, you could happily never know this was a wrestling theme, and still happily enjoy it completely just as a piece of music um but it it simultaneously fits perfectly and has the perfect intro that you want for wrestling for when the guys are first coming out it works so well with the titantron like they i always thought um evolution had one of the best um entrance videos to go alongside it and that's obviously inexorably linked with the the theme itself um it's it really was a complete piece of music uh in both regards the final theme of the episode debuted in 2006 this was when triple h started referring to himself as the king of kings and when he made his entrance at wrestlemania 22 sitting on a throne and looking like hunter the barbarian this song played before the game and ever since This song has acted as a secondary theme to the game. This is Motorhead with their third and final song of the episode with a theme off of WWE Reckless Intent. This is King of Kings. Behold the king, the king of kings. On your knees, dog. Robin, we've been talking all episode long here about the ascension and, yes, evolution of Triple H as a character and his place on the card over the years and so forth and how that's been reflected in his music. How Triple H started in DX, 
worked his way up into being a singles champion with my time and a dominant main event presence with the game. Well, now we've reached the end of that ascension, which is Triple H now being hailed as the King of Kings. He's the pinnacle. He's the ruler of the land. Look upon his works, ye mighty in despair. And everybody else needs to bow down to the king on your knees, dog, as the song goes. And you can see where he's coming from. All those Mania main events, all those title runs, his Attitude Era contemporaries like The Rock, Austin Foley, are now either retired, semi-retired, or left the company by 06. Triple H is still standing. He's still winning titles. He's still headlining WrestleMania. He's still the game. And when all your enemies have been crushed and driven out before you, you might as well call yourself the king. Yeah, just th this song just brings up imagery of like uh, a warrior who's been out there. He's maybe not even in his prime anymore, but he he's reached the pinnacle in the past and he's 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 taken the throne and he's still there and no one's come up to challenge him because no one's been able to. He he is he is the king still. Um, he's just sat in that throne and no one's ready he's not ready for anyone to take it from him anymore even though maybe he's not what he once was when he was rising up he's still at the pinnacle and no one's knocked him off and that's kind of the whole vibe of this song um it's it, it just works i mean i i realize i sound somewhat like a broken record talking about every motorhead theme that's come on but it it is just magnificent as a as a theme song they they really get wrestling themes don't they yeah, and like the game, the lyrics do a great job of portraying Triple H as this overpowering force. Because the lyrics are so gruesome and bloody. The king grinned red as he walked from the place where the traitor lost both his name and his face. Through the halls and the corridors, stinging in blood, he tasted his grin and it tasted good. The king took his head, left him broken and dead. The king left none living, none able to tell. The king took their heads, and he sent them to hell. Their screams echoed loud in the place of their death. Ripped open they died with their final breath. They hailed the king, the king of kings. So he's not portrayed as a very nice king. <laughs> he's not Mufasa or old King Cole, the merry old soul. He's portrayed as a tyrant, as a brutal man. But again, that's totally on brand because Triple H is not necessarily a very nice guy. And he will go to extreme measures to keep his throne, so to speak. So bloody beheadings, as gruesome as they are, they do get the point across quite well. Yeah, they, now feel your fear. There can be only one. It, it just kind of sums up... He is at the top. He is the one guy. Maybe he's the one guy left, but in his mind, he's the only guy. He is the pinnacle. He is everything that the company revolves around. And it ends up working weirdly well as a, a theme that he kind of used quite a lot when he was an on-screen character as part of the authority. Um, he was, you know, the owner of the company as opposed to like the pinnacle uh, as a wrestler. It still works in that regard in that, you know, he's in charge of all this. This is 
this is all his as far as the eye can see. I rule over this, that that type deal. Yeah, it's funny. For years, you know, we've been told by WWE how much of a big deal Triple H is. All those documentaries and video packages. He's the architect of the Attitude Era, 15-time champion or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And we all just rolled our eyes and said, yeah, sure, whatever, fine. Well, now it's actually true. (laughs) Now he really is a big deal. He's the executive vice president of talent, live events, and creative. He's built up NXT from being just a developmental section into being this big touring brand. And now he's spearheading this aggressive global expansion campaign. So when you go back and you listen to the messages of his big themes, bow to the masters, it's my time, I am the game, bow down to the king, even the title corporate player, they come across as a lot more prophetic than they did back then. Because one day, one day, Vince is going to die, and Triple H and Stephanie will take over, and Triple H really will become the King of Kings. Is it a strange thought? Sure, because once again, this guy was terrorizing, (laughs) and he was rolling around with Henry Godwin in a hog pen match, but... You know, that's that's life, Robin. It's a long, strange trip. The chairman of the board, Terra Rising. <laughs> it, what, what a ring to it that has. Um, but yeah, that through line is interesting. Like, you've you've got a clear, like, comparison there in the, you know, with, with Break It Down, they're talking about um, bow to your masters in kind of a, almost a sarcastic way. It's It's kind of presenting... You know, like we're so much, you know, we are going to be the masters now. You may as well bow to us because, you know, we are what's what's new, what's great and what's going to take over. And then, you know, fast forward, what, 10 years or so, we've got this song and it's telling you bow down to the king. He's there now. He told you he was going to be there. He told you he was going to be the master and that you should bow to him. Now he's in charge of everything. Now he's the pinnacle of the sport. He's had whatever, however many world championships, 13 or something. Um, and it's time to bow to the king. And he is there. He is the king of kings now. And he told you way back then. All right. Well, that was our look at the many themes of Triple H, uh, some of the most well-known, iconic themes in wrestling. And then there's also Roadmaster and Corporate Player. (laughs) What can you do? What can you do? But uh, anyway, Robin, I know you and I, we're not Triple H's biggest fans by any means. But the guy does have some really fantastic songs to his name. And, you know, whether we like him or not, I think it's plain as day that he is just obsessed with wrestling. I mean, you don't start out at the bottom of the totem pole and slowly grind your way up to where he is now by sheer accident. You have to be very passionate about wrestling, and you have to have an enormous work ethic to have the career that Triple H has had. Now, is he also a massive egomaniac with a god complex? Shit yeah he is. (laughs) I am not denying that at all. But to say that Triple H has anything less than pure love for wrestling would just be lying. So, 
I don't salute Triple H for the politics or the bullshit, but I do salute him because he's like us, you know? He just, he really loves pro wrestling, namely WWE. He he especially loves that. <laughs> but uh, what about you, Robin? Any final thoughts on Triple H? Yeah, it, it's undeniable. Whatever you say about him, and a lot of it will be valid, it, it's hard to say he, he is a guy who doesn't care about wrestling. He clearly cares a lot. Maybe we have different ideologies on what it should be, on how it should work, but the care level is 100% there. And, you know, I also think he is a guy who gets wrestling, especially as we kind of alluded to at the beginning. He gets the spectacle of wrestling. I think, you know, from the the hit rate he's had of themes, especially after the first few, he clearly gets the music of wrestling. He gets... Or either that or he's been very lucky because he's had some great themes and some themes that have fit his characters at the time to a T. Um, so, you know, he's he's someone who cares and he's someone who gets it. And, you know, maybe maybe there's a, a million other issues, but you can never take those two things away from him. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for supporting the show through 50 episodes. Oh my goodness. I am incredibly grateful to all of you. I I know I say it all the time. I know, I know, but <laughs> I, I really do mean it. Thank you. Um, of course, the next episode is the two-year anniversary show, so I'll, I'll probably be thanking you guys again on that one too. But uh, 50 in and of itself, is a pretty cool milestone to reach. And that means it's also the end of another season of sorts, another batch of 10 episodes. So I also want to thank all of the co-hosts that I had over the past 10 episodes. Kelly Harris, Griffin Peltier, J.R. Goldberg, Garrett Kidney, Jeff Hawkins, Christo Membrino, Sean Flynn, Gran Akuma, and of course, Robin Reed. Robin, thank you very much for being here. This was awesome. Any plugs you want to give, go right ahead. Well, first off, thanks for having me on. I've I've been a big fan of the show and uh, getting the, the big landmark coveted 50 spot is a, a great boon to me. So thank you very much. Um, you can find me. I uh, kind of run the, uh, the European section of the Voice of the Wrestling website. So everything that ends up going up there i'll have had some hand in and uh, i mean I'm, I'm sure you all know where to find that site uh, given that this is inexorably linked um you can listen to me fairly regularly on the i'm a regular guest or regular co-host on the uh, the brit rest roundtable where we cover all it's a, it's a poorly named show really because brit rest ends up being spread across all of Europe, but, uh, you know, we're British. So uh, the f we have several of us on fairly regularly to talk about um, all the goings on in, in European wrestling and Triple H's invasion of it, um, which is currently occurring, which is very fun. Um, you can follow the Twitter for that at B-R-I-T-W-R-E-S-R-O-U-N-D. -E That's Brit Rest Round. And a reminder that Music of the Mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find other great wrestling podcasts on there, like the Brit Restaurant Table, at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. You can find the YouTube playlist for this and all past episodes at the VOW forums, 
voicesofwrestling.com slash forum. Of course, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes and Google Podcasts and Spotify and many other places. And last, but certainly not least, the Voices of Wrestling 2018 New Japan Year in Review ebook is now available. It's a comprehensive look at the year that it was in New Japan in 2018. Profiles, essays, title histories, results, reviews, stats, artwork. It's all in there. I wrote for it again this year, as did a lot of other talented people. We all worked super hard on it, uh, especially Rich Krejci, whose brain pretty much turned to mush by the end of the process. So if you would be so kind, you can buy the book at voicesofwrestling.com slash njpw18. That's the number 1818. The links are there for Payhip and Amazon. The Amazon price is set at $5.99. The Payhip price is pay what you want. So if you do want to get the book for free, you can do so. But just know that whatever you pay, all that money goes to the contributors and gives them all a nice compensation for all their hard work. So again, that's voicesofwrestling.com slash njpw18. Robin, thanks again, and I'm looking forward to doing this again in the future. Thank you. I look forward to it. All right. For Robin Reed, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.